from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Josh. Let's okay. do that one over. It's the Tiny House Podcast. Okay. You are? And this is Mark Kraft. <laughs> and I'm Perry. This is MJ. <laughs> well, that was backwards. That was this whole thing going to be, it's gonna be something else. Oh my goodness. So, um, what's happening today, you guys? Boy, it's been a day of technical malfunctions. Technical malfunctions and storming, norming, performing within the team. <laughs> I've never heard that. You have I've never heard oh, that, wow. no. Yeah. I hope I don't have any technical malfunctions when I move my house next week. Let's say you're not. Okay, good. <laughs> how far so you that's got, what's up for how me. How far you got to move it? <clears throat> 175 miles. Oh. From where to where? To your, From yeah. Tacoma, Washington to Sherwood, Oregon. Oh, I thought it was being built. Wow, I didn't know it was being built that far away. Yeah, yeah. So it's being built up there and it's being transferred down here. So let's so hope it's all it. done? No, oh. not quite. But the outside is done. The electrical is done. The plumbing is done. Um, I put the roof on this weekend. Um, now it is moving down here for the final. So insulation, drywall, flooring, and paint. Very cool. You know, finishings, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. Whatever happened, this might be a taboo subject, so just shut me down if, if you don't want to talk about it. Sure. Whatever happened to that city council person who came and visited you? At 10 at night. <laughs> yes, yes. Like a stalker. Actually, uh, so she invited me to reappear in front of the city council and sort of keep talking about tiny houses. Um, incidentally, however, uh, what's happened is Tiny House Expedition, which is um, Alexis and Christian with mm-hmm. Tiny House Expedition. They're traveling around the country filming a documentary. Lovely people. They're coming to Sherwood. So I'm actually now doing sort of a community event. We're going to show Living Tiny Legally in Sherwood. Um, I'm going to go to the city council and, you know, invite everybody and it'll be on the Facebook page and everything else. And, uh, they're actually going to stay in Sherwood for a couple of weeks. And so that's kind of the next step is to, is to bring other people to watch the documentary, to understand what it takes and what it is about legalizing tiny houses. And yeah, so I have a fun mini, we'll call it a mini tiny house event. Nice. Mini uh, tiny. Coming, yeah. Coming up happening? in a couple of weeks. Oh, um, soon. Sooner well, than the show will be out. No, actually, it'll probably, it's going to be, we're still working on the exact date. So it's going to be anywhere between June 26th and July 10th. Oh, wow. So somewhere in that time frame. I just talked to Alexis yesterday. So getting all the final details. So that's the next iteration is, again, more conditioning and more education of not only the community leaders, mm. but also the community at large. Very Are they good. coming to see you specifically in Sherwood or? I am being filmed for part three of Tiny House Legally or Living Tiny Legally. So mm-hmm. I will be part of the actual documentary. I don't know. I would not go so far as to say that they're there because of me. Um, I'd like to say that. but So they are <laughs> going to be filming my house, both of my tiny houses. Again, having this small community event. And they're also going to be traveling throughout Portland. And of course, doing as much filming of the other people that live in the area as mm-hmm. well. So you, you've, got, you've got your empty, my empty nest. You've got the little one that you're building that looks like a canary. What's yes. the third one going to be like? My tiny perch. So the third one, actually, I'm starting um, very, very seriously starting to design the third one. Um, we affectionately at this point call it the wedgie. Uh, we're thinking about doing a wedgie design. <laughs> that's right up my kulu. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so a wedgie is one that's very, very low in the front and high uh, in the back. Yeah. 
Um, it has an entirely different aesthetic, but still pretty modern, um, a little bit more aerodynamic and just something different to do. Bigger or smaller than you, my empty nest? Um, at this point, it really depends on which of the five trailers I'm currently looking at to okay. buy right now, which that of the five sense. trailers kind of lands in my lap. Mm -hmm. So some of the floor plans actually stretch and shrink very easily, and some of them do not. So um, actually, I found a there's a guy um, in Central Oregon that bought a 26-foot tiny house trailer, and then he got attacked by a shark. Not joking. In the tiny house. I was thinking, not, how do you make? Anyway, not go. joking. He was he was surfing on the Oregon coast. Got attacked by a white, uh, a great white shark. Um, ended up in the hospital for a long, long, long time. Anyways, so wow. now he's selling his twenty six foot trailer. Incidentally, um, so I have a bid in on that one and and four other ones throughout the state. So that shark said that trailer's not for you. It's for Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but why did I mean? I understand, and you know, don't want to make a joke about the guy getting attacked by a shark. But why decide to sell did. the tiny house? He actually decided that he that the project that he had started was a little bit too big now for what he wants and his lifestyle and what he can do. So what? he's going to go tinier. Oh, he needs room for less. It, well, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> you just said not to make jokes about was, the shark well, attack. That, I was going to. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, yeah. but I, it was again. Um, it's amazing when you start to reach out in the tiny house community and you learn people's stories and their motivations between behind what they why they buy what they buy and yeah. why they sell what they sell and that's yeah. that's the interesting part of the community to me so yeah so i have um like i said literally five different trailers i'm negotiating on currently and we'll just see whichever one lands in my lap very cool thank you that would hurt having a trailer land in your lap speaking of laps speaking of laps <laughs> <laughs> a laugh like a circle which is a lot like an octagon nice <laughs> nice <laughs> And today on the show, we Subside. have um, a guy who, <laughs> I'm, I'm being specific. He's, he's going off script. Yes, I'm going off script because, um, so, so here's the thing, tiny house, list, tiny house podcast listeners, Mark loves yurts. And I do. Yes, he does. And we, have we had a yurt manufacturer or yurt enthusiast on the not. show? We yurt have not, right. girl, yurt girl's coming up. Oh, she's coming up. Okay. Carrie so, Cooper, yurt girl, is on, the, is on the lineup coming up. Okay. So this is the first yurt organization that we've had on the tiny house, which is interesting because we've had how many episodes now? We're coming up on 100. Yeah, coming up on 100. And Mark loves these things. And I'm kind of okay about them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we have Welcome this guest. Exactly. We have this guest. <laughs> His name is Lou. And he, is he, does he own Octobi? He's. Oh, I just. Yeah, one of the founders of October. If he's still on the line after you said you hate yurts. <laughs> I didn't say I hate them. You just said you're. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> Perfect. Come in. Yeah. Hi, Lou. Welcome to the Hi. show. <laughs> Thank you for sticking it out with us yes. through that. <laughs> so, um, I want to start with the why October. Well, why not? What, what does it mean? Oh, why the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because well, they're octagons. Oh, at least most ah. of them are. And the the original ones had an eight foot wide wall, so you could pull eight from a lot of different areas on it. I think. Uh, but Jay as Schaefer far as the that. name, my wife actually came up with part of it: the octo, and then like an adobe. So, oh, mm, nice. that's cute. Uh, oh, it's nice. memorable. It's a good brand. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Wow. I thought it had something hey. to do with the fall or something. I'll see you in October. Mm. Yeah. That works. Mm. 
Lou's like, mm, hey, no. hashtag I'll see you in October. There you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'll see you in October. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right, You're <I> guess, welcome. <laughs> technically, it would be an October. <laughs> um, so, so you build these. So, Lou, do you, do you actually put together these kits or do you have them manufactured? Oh, I do it all. Wow. Uh, we have a small shop and a small crew. And at this point, start to finish. It's us. Wow. And how many, how many, are they, are they called Octobies? Is that what they're called? Sure. Okay. Yeah. There's different models. Like what I usually call like the Octobi 199 is the permit free one. And then we've got a 403, which is designed more for those that want to go full, full dock, (laughs) you know, ADU. Nice. Okay. And how, how long have you been in business? Well, I started the whole thing in probably 2004, but it started slow. Mm-hmm. This last couple of years with the explosion of tiny house interest, it's really picked up and we're just trying to keep up at this point. That's nice. a good place That's to be. That's so amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and did you, what was the decision that had you go? So my experience of a yurt, Lou, is that it's a canvas-sided octagonal structure with a hard... I think it's a hard top, basically. Not right? always. Not always? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you go from, or what was your decision process for going from tent structure to hard Wood. sides? Yeah. Well, I come from more of a traditional building background. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a general contractor and I've built all kinds of things, really. Um, and years ago, back in 2000, I worked for several years for Oregon Yurtworks. I don't oh. know if you're familiar with them. They're no longer in business, but uh, I built their roof panels and I thought these are pretty cool. And they're built, the yurt of it is really the compression system and the beams all squeezed together with a cable. You know, that's kind of the yurt of it. Um, Other than that, it's pretty traditional. You know, the way we build them, we use, you know, regular lumber, regular wood. They're wood yurts, you know. Hmm. So, so uh, you mentioned Cables, so I presume that, that yurts are held together by the tension of the cables? Right. Yeah, the tension cable that just squeezes everything up into that compression, however, you're, whatever you're using. Uh, we use a glue lamb in, in an octagon. All the pressure is pushed up into, into that, and that enables you to have the vaulted open area. You know, even with the canvas, you're same idea. You'll see the, the cable pushing everything up into that compression system, then they just drape a, you know, a canvas over the whole thing. And that's why you don't, sorry, go ahead. I interrupted. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, The the kind of things that I was looking for um, over a canvas shirt, which I think is probably the coolest tent you could ever have. And I'd love to go stay in them, but you know, things like an Eve so that the water doesn't just run down the wall. Oh, you know, if you, and we have a wider wall, so you can put a French door slider, you know, a little bit bigger entrance to them and bigger windows. So that's kind of why we didn't get it quite as round. We wanted a little bit of room to work in that wall. That makes sense? Yes, it yep. does make sense. Totally. Yeah. So circling back, you said your model 199, uh, I think you called it the permit free. So yes. for the tiny house enthusiasts of the world, generally, I know that it's true in a couple of jurisdictions I've built in. Um, generally, it, you can build a structure, um, an, what they call a non-improved structure. So either no electricity or no plumbing depends on the jurisdiction, but Anything less than 200 square feet, you can build permit-free. Huh. So is that really what you were referring to? And, and yes. These are it's generally kind of, kind of a, backyard kind offices. kind of a shed idea. It's, it's, 
you're not really supposed to live in them. You know, uh-huh. it can be an office, it can be a temporary space, but how people use them depends on what they want to do, mm. you know. Uh, but that's the idea for putting one up. Right. Um, so for your as, purposes as a building, because do you, do you uh, erect them on site or do you yes. ship the kits? No, no, we do it all. Uh, mm. we, we come, set them up, usually four days from when we roll up until when we leave you with a weatherproof shell. Even the okay. big ones? No, they're going to take a few more days, okay. depending, you know, what all we get involved with. And we've done full permitted homes with wings, thousand square feet, wow. you know, months. It just depends on the project. Uh, I love the little ones, though. Uh, Why? Just we pull up, set them up. We're out of there in four days. Mm. It's you know, they fit in my shop better. <laughs> They're smaller. <laughs> I, you know, I think it also, um, if I could interject here, I think it has to do with the uh, instant gratification. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. In yeah. four days, you go from bare land to bam, there's a house. Bare land to bam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they love it. It's just like one day it's floors, next day it's walls, and there's ceilings, and then we're gone, and it's done. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. What are, what, yeah. so you, you're, it sounds like you said that you were trying to, having to keep up with the, with the demand. Um, what is, what are people using these for predominantly? Well, uh, I think the most common use would be like a office guest room, um, music room. Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of, uh, spiritual type stuff. We got yoga and Buddhas and, you know, I live in Eugene where we have a lot of spiritual <laughs> Yogas type people. and Buddhas. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so you like, build some out of Birkenstocks then? <laughs> and health professionals are looking into it. Uh, it's selling a lot to like therapists. That's a great oh, little yeah. space for them to, yeah. if they work out of their home. Jay Schaefer refers to these. Jay Schaefer refers to these, some of the shall we say, structural attributes as, um, what's the word? I just lost it. Oh, sacred geometry. Yeah, that's, that's why I was thinking when he was mentioning yoga people and meditation people and the Buddha is that, uh, in fact, you'd almost think that the Buddha achieved his enlightenment in a year. He didn't, but you'd think you could. And Feng, feng Shui. Yeah, exactly. oh, true too, yes. Yogi people are called yogis. Yoga uh-huh. people are called yogis. That's, yes, they are. Mm. <laughs> and outside of them are the yoga bears. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what's what's the farthest place that you you shipped and erected one of these? I'm sorry. What place? Yeah. What's the, the farthest. farthest place? I didn't hear the question. What's the farthest place you've? Oh, oh, the farthest. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, uh, quite a few in Portland, uh, Newburgh, uh, Milwaukee. A couple in Portland, um, south to Grants Pass. Um, we're looking at one now for Brookings, which is actually a 403 with wings and a daylight basement. So wow. that'll be a big distant project. Mm-hmm. And quite a few in Eugene and the surrounding areas, Silverton. Uh, mostly just here in Oregon. How many, how many units have you um, built? Oh, gosh, 40, 50, more. I don't know. <laughs> Quite a few. Ask you know, we went to just several a year to like I think last year we did twelve. Interesting. So you are you are you planning to focus just on Oregon or is that just because people in Oregon love these things? <sighs> well, it gets to yeah, we're gonna be doing Oregon just because we have to get a crew out there and uh they have families and 
I'm not really sure how we're going to handle distance. We are thinking of maybe a simplified version that we could actually ship. People could set up easily themselves. These do not really lend themselves to your casual builder. I, I mean, bet. we know how to do it. And I think that for the time being, we're going to continue to set them up. So close to Eugene as possible. So when um, the, the whole tiny house movement started uh, a few years ago and your phone started ringing more off the hook or, uh, or website, did you, yeah. know, did you know right away what was happening or was all of a sudden, was it more, you know, what's causing this or, or how did that come to pass? Well, I think I was starting to kind of feel it. Um, not everyone needs to live in a 5,000 square foot home anymore. You know, I live in one. So I've been living in one for the last six years. Very similar to what, I, if you look at our yurt home on the pictures we sent, yeah, very similar to that. So, and there's something about the, the space is pleasing. Um, you know, you get a high vaulted ceiling. If it's a little bit rainy, you feel like it's a little bigger than it actually is. Um, and then I could just kind of feel that people were looking for alternatives. And we started going to all these shows, especially if they're in Portland. Your tiny home shows are just awesome. And then, you know, at the fairgrounds, we go to the home shows and listen to the different small home people and the kind of stuff they're doing. And it just seemed like the time was right. So where do you get your materials from? Oh, I have a local builder supply that they deliver them. You know, um, we have kind of specific things we need. Some of our beams are very special. Um, back blocks and such. Uh, the T&G ceilings we order all. So it comes, you know, kind of in a sealed, untampered with package. Um so I have a local builder that delivers to me, and then sometimes we order and get things at some of the local stores if you know if we're in a hurry. So how much? So you, again, going back to the, the the comment you made about how business has picked up since the tiny house movement mm -hmm. started. Um, to what extent have you, for lack of a better term, this might sound bad, sort of levered the tiny house movement? Do you? I some of the house builders um, they'll advertise, for instance, on Craigslist, and they'll add the words tiny house as a, as a keyword mm -hmm. um, just because yeah, someone's looking yeah. for a tiny house, they'll accidentally stumble on your product or to, so to what extent have you directly um, attempted to benefit or, or has it just all been kind of indirect? Well, yeah. I, when someone calls, you know, if they, if they thinking it's going to be on wheels and that's what they want, then I'm not going to, you know, try to switch them into a, a yurt. <laughs> uh, they do move. You can, you know, move them, but they don't come with wheels. Yeah, really, that would be an issue. And trend. so, yeah. So um, how so movable? I think I just take it as it comes. You know. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, how movable are they? Can you can you build them quote yeah. unquote on skids and? No, no, they come apart. Right. And when we move them, what we do is take them all apart. Each of those eight pieces, eight, eight walls, eight floors, eight ceilings. You know, you need some sort of boom truck to take the ceiling off. Uh, we've invented some various lifting devices that we can take on site. But it's, you know, you're probably looking at another three or four days to take, take one and move it. You know, it's really about the same as setting it up the first time. Hmm. So, no, it's not something you just do, do casually. Yeah. Speaking of casually, this, so the, this is a, it looks like a simple... Um, structure, but it's, it's actually seeming very complicated. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, yeah. there's a lot more than than you would see. You know, like for instance, those ceiling panels. When they're shipped, they've got your interior ceiling boards all stained and ready to go, and your exterior soffits are flipped over, rough side, painted with the house color. And so, when you set this whole thing up, 
you know, you've got to you've got to have everything perfectly plumb and your and your octagon, if it was a circle, perfectly round. You don't mm-hmm. can't have any egg shaped things going on. So we use straps. We have kind of a system where we tune it, shall we say, when you go to set it up. And that, so when you set your roof panels down, you're not seeing the wrong colored ceiling board. Uh, you know, the, the whole yeah. thing's got to fit. It's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> and how do you draw the? Be truthful. How do you draw the tension in the cable? Okay, it has a turnbuckle, and during construction, before we put the roofs on. The beams are drilled and sleeved, and so we run, run a, our cable through there, right over the wall top plate, and then we hook on the turnbuckle and just start tightening it to very tight. I can okay? hear you gritting your then teeth. Then we continue you... building. Sorry? Sorry, I, w- I was just saying I can hear you grit your teeth when you say tighten it. Mm-hmm. So you're like really putting tension on yeah, it. Yeah, they need to be tight. Yeah, we really do. And it doesn't really creak much, but you can really feel the whole thing get even stronger. You know, that pressure, it's kind of a dynamic structure. You know, it's not just sitting there. There's tension in it. And I believe that makes them probably one of the strongest type buildings around um, compared to like a regular square building or, you know, a house, which are plenty strong. But, you know, these have a, a kind of a dynamic strength that I think would be resistant to, I don't know, Cascadia or something like that. Wow. The big one. Yeah, I was wondering mm-hmm. what he was talking about. Yeah, It's the big one, but you know, I think if so, I, mean, I live in one thinking, I want to be ready, mm. just so, in case. Mathematically, as a tiny house builder, I'm always, always uh, challenged with plumb, level, and square. So, of course, <laughs> you're concerned with plumb and level, but you probably don't have a square piece of board in this <laughs> entire structure. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you got to constantly be doing math. Right. Of course, I mean, I'm sure that these kits are are pre-engineered and cut to size and everything, but sounds like a mathematical nightmare. It it can be. You got to get real used to to double angles and compounds. I'd say it's more in in operating, you know, a double compound miter saw. You know, you have to be able to confidently cut multiple angles. Right. Um, it's by the time it gets to the site, it's all cut, and we we have a cut list, you know, with it all described, and we've. We've had them engineered and run AutoCAD. And, um, so we use some of this modern help to get them squared away. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot to it. And all of our walls are jig built. If you don't have your wall square, nothing's going to work for you. So jigs help you with that. You square each wall as you build it. Um, and then when you go to put this thing together, if you can picture the floor with the walls, then we put those really heavy um, like truckers straps. Oh, yeah across and then we pull it into 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 like perfect roundness you know we, we were measuring to within like a quarter of an inch so all those points are the same distance then you can begin putting your beams on you know you can't even start that until if you try to jump ahead and do a step without making it perfect you're going to be sorry later so what are sorry michelle no i was just gonna ask how big is this crew Oh, we generally use three people. We try to use a small, highly trained crew. I don't have a bunch of people. Um, there's a lot to this. It takes a long time to train someone. Um, it it's kind of like as you step through. Well, first we're, you know you might be working on skirting, and then then we'll say things like, "Well, this is one of the last things we're going to have you do," because uh, there are some very intricate maneuvers that we do. That and some of them I still just do myself. 
You know, building the cupola is a little miniature yurt that sits on top oh, yeah. to avoid the whole dome laser beam coming through with the sun. I build those myself. That's like my little pet peeve. Our pet project. <laughs> um, when it goes wrong, right, it's a peeve. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'll mention this one quick thing. Um, one of the neatest things about the cupola is you can imagine with all these little angles and ceiling boards and such, you're going to end up with these smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The cupola just uses them up. When we get done, my waste pile is tiny. So, so I would I, I recently like went I recently went to an event in North Carolina and I got my first experience helping with someone uh erect a uh portable yurt <clears throat> which we then had to take down because there was a big storm coming so and it was a canvas side mm-hmm. yurt but one of the things that she talked a lot about was the advantages of the design as far as air circulation so with canvas sides mm-hmm. ones you you know you lift up the bottom of the canvas the air comes in from underneath at the ground level and then just naturally flows up and through and out the and cupola. out the cupola. So um, I see that you have fans in your cupola. Um, what other sort of uh, attributes do you have to uh, sort of take advantage of that functionality? Thank you. That is one of my favorite subjects because it creates a natural heat chimney. Um, so when we generally ship them, they come with glass blocks up there, but we make it so it's very easy to install screen blocks, you know, as, with as many of those as you want. They're basically the same size as a glass block. So a lot of times people put two or four glass block or screen blocks up in the summer to create just what you're talking about, you know, this heat chimney and the fan assists that, getting that heat up and out of there. And when you climb up a ladder up into that cupola, it's so warm up in there. That's where all the heat's going. Then in the winter, you seal that back up and turn your fan around and let that heat be blown downwards. Hmm. So there is a lot of heat management in the shape. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's not, this, this shape seems to be living up to its... Um, what it, somebody in here, either in the studio or maybe it was Lou, used this word about the dynamic design of this thing and how it was holistic or something like that or airy-fairy kind of. Sacred geometry. Sacred, sacred geometry. I didn't mean to use the airy no. fairy word. No, 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 no that was Jay Schaefer's term. So. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so it's it's like it it seems like the way we're talking about these things, they're living up to that sacred geometry design. It's like there's all these benefits that you don't see in it. When I walk into a yurt, I, it's just it's just so foreign to a traditional living structure to me. It's like I just feel not heebie-jeebies. Just I just don't feel comfortable in it. Not that I'm trying to be negative. It's just like I just don't have the comfort, the the, the familiarity. Well, you need to spend some more time in one. Apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think what I feel in general <laughs> I is I find that, it very pleasing myself. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Mark does too. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I attended a conference uh, up in Canada on Salt Spring Island that was in a yurt. And it was it was a... It made it peaceful somehow. Now it also happened to be in a really nice piece of land mm. and you could see the water off in the distance, but it was just a pleasant, it's like, I don't know. I love that big open space thing. Like, like a lot of cabins are too, where you're just in it and there it is. It's just right there mm. a nice high ceiling and you just, I don't know, feel peaceful, but I'm not looking for a place to hide Barry. <laughs> hey Lou, we're referring to his, what we call the Hound house, oh, yeah. which is his. His tiny oh. house, uh, yeah. So, tidy house, tidy house. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, one of the things that I, that I had learned was in the original design, um, 
There was a specific space across from the front door for the master bed. There were specific spaces for the wives. Again, way, way back when, when the yurts were originally invented and originally used. So not be, aside of the sacred geometry, there's also some very, there's a lot of formality regarding in, in, I want to, I don't know what country I have to admit. Mongolia. I think it's, yeah, I think yeah, it's Mongolia. Mongolia. I think, yeah. They not only have, again, they not only have the sacred geometry thing going for it, but it's also very, like the door has to face a certain direction. Uh-huh. The bed, the master bed has to be across from the door. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of, I think you said it, Lu, feng shui mm-hmm. associated mm-hmm. with these spaces as well. So mm-hmm. maybe, Perry, you've never been in one that was properly feng shui'd. Probably <laughs> it wasn't feng shui. <laughs> so can a, can a person custom order a yurt from you or do you stick to this these uh, models that you have? Well, sizes, we have to go with what we have. Mm. Um, back in the yurt works days, I think we made six or eight different sizes and that's a lot of jigs mm-hmm. and a lot of different angles. Remember, you change anything, you change everything. Mm. So um, we have really sizes. We had a 300, but it had the eight foot, 300 square foot. We had it and it had eight foot walls, but it, be, it was too big to ship by the time your ceilings, you know, reach out. It was just too wide. So we went with the 403, which you might see in the picture there, which has six foot walls and 12 of them. And that way, pieces are smaller, um, easier to ship and everything. So, but any of the, any of the time, anytime we're dealing with a permit, you know, it's a custom structure. Right. You know, everything's different. Um, so I usually tell people, well, yeah, if we're looking at the 199, we can, you know, send you out a price list real easy. But if it's going to be, uh, you know, home, it's going to be a custom job. We have to pretty much look at how many wings and, you know, how tall of walls. Everything pretty much is up for, you know, change. So if tiny house people want to sort of save money, you would come erect the shell and they could personalize the inside. Is that is that easy to do? That's normally that's normally how it works. We, we, any kind of a job out of Eugene, we're just going to come set up the shell so that at least on the outside, you're, it would look finished. It's, you know, painted and cocked almost always cocked, sometimes painted and leaving you really just walls and floor covering to do yourself. You know, the ceiling's all done. The floor is subfloor with insulation, bottom skinned, everything. So you know, there's not really that much to do, but of course, there can be a lot depending on how you're setting it up. So you're so when you say your the walls are done on the inside, is there interior sheathing on there? And no, no, the walls are open panel on the inside. I see. They are not done. The ceilings are done. Okay. They're insulated with the just like you see in the pictures with the tongue and groove. It's all mm-hmm. oiled and mm-hmm. everything up in the cupola is done. Mm-hmm. So actually, the angles are pretty much done. All you have to do is the the walls are square at this point, like you know, twelve sheets of sheetrock would do a one ninety nine, and then you just whatever you're going to use for floor covering, you can call the carpet guy or call do laminate, mm-hmm. whatever. It's not going to be real expensive because it's not very big. Right. So, the, and, and so typically what kind of heating system goes in these? Well, because of their small size, even though in the permit, permit free model, your insulation values aren't astounding. You've got, <laughs> you know, an R11 ceiling or, for, uh, 19 floors it's the small size that makes them really easy to heat uh, normally a single wall heater will do it sometimes people put in a, a stove stove pipe and do a stove mm. but it doesn't take much to heat them 
just because of the small size and the small amount of area that you're heating. When they're in your gene, when they're built in your gene and located in your gene, it's heated by a big lighter that's lighting up on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just saying you can heat it with a candle, but you know, you're going to need a little something. And you know, I used a, uh, one of those oil heaters, you know, that electric oil heater type oh, yeah. thing. And that's such a gentle heat. In the winter, if you open the door, you know, it doesn't recover as quickly as, uh, you know, a more hot type heater. Mm -hmm. So it worked for me, but I've had some clients go, I'm just not staying warm enough. And so they went to a different style of a heater that had a little bit more horsepower, mm -hmm. depending on how warm you need to be. I recently discovered uh, in, the hard way. The one I live in, we have one of those little gas uh, fireplaces, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. just heats the 300 square footer over hot. We have to, you know, turn it off. Off. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that was the that was the mistake I recently figured out is that um, I need to actually even turn off the pilot light. Like once it gets wow. above sixty <laughs> degrees, summer, yeah. yeah. Once it gets above, even right now, like it, once it gets above sixty degrees outside, I have to turn off the pilot light because if it's sixty about sixty degrees outside, my loft, which is where I sleep, can easily get to uh, seventy five, yeah. seventy eight degrees yeah. just from the heat. Yeah from the pilot mm -hmm. light into the loft, yeah. which would be the equivalent yeah. of the Coppola sort of area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Very our, true. Our log There's cabin in Manzanita was the same way because it's logs. Right. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get more insulated than mm -hmm. that. So you can really be cooking the upstairs. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very interesting. Um, so, so Mark is making a sign of say that again. That means stretch. Oh, okay. That means go. Okay. <laughs> so keep on talking. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's interesting. Uh, it's not that interesting, Perry. No, it is interesting. Actually, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. So, what about what about plumbing and and um, like? I I presume inside these yurts, there's a there can be restrooms. Yes, and yeah. the restrooms are like walled off, like they're mm -hmm. private. I mean, yeah. Well, okay. Now you're getting into kind of that gray area, <laughs> but um, I'll just tell you. I may have clients that have opted to put a small wing on their little 199 mm -hmm. and to accommodate a bathroom. That could happen. Um, I, I don't recommend in that small size cutting it up too much. Oh, yeah. You know, but what you'll find in yurts, and you'll see it in the canvas yurts, and, and I recommend it for a, our yurts, some of the large ones, is what I call a bathroom box, right. which is basically a small box in your house that has a bathroom inside. On top is a loft, and on the outside, you generally run like a little kitchenette. Oh, okay. It's an efficient way to sort of use one wall mm -hmm. and plumb, you know, a bathroom and a kitchenette, so you kind of have a little studio. That makes sense. All mm -hmm. in a little, you know, a little box. Yeah, and then you can handle, you know, your services, and also it preserves the vault. If you go all the way up, it would kind of interfere with that vault feel. Yeah. So a sleeping loft could be put on top of the bathroom. Oh, interesting. That's a good idea, actually. I like the wing idea, too, because then you're not disturbing the geometric beauty of the... Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for that. Because in the one I live in, all of our services, I put our bedroom, our kitchen, and a bathroom in, the, in two wings uh, so that we have our great room just as a great room. I see. Right. So it sort of has a, um, not an earthship feel, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I think is probably the yeah, most like common... That. Mm -hmm. common configuration for the addition of mm -hmm. uh you know utilities for lack of a better term mm -hmm. uh -huh. 
is that, you know, each of those side panels is kind of like a built-in entryway to another world. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. exactly. Here's our bathroom world. Mm-hmm. Here's our bathroom yes, world. bathroom world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the, it's, so you're obviously benefiting from the boom of the tiny house movement as it affects Oregon, since you're just in Oregon. What do yeah. you, what do you see going forward? Are you thinking of <sighs> um, needing to expand your team or build? Well, yeah, I've had to have all those thoughts. Um, I'm just trying to keep a sane and orderly uh, progress going here. Don't want to lose sight of details and keep the quality just where we want it. So we're just going to build them one at a time until it you know, grows naturally larger. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way for me to go. I don't want to get, you know, there's a couple times last summer we were doing three at a time. Mm. You know, I was like, ah. Oh. Got to kind of think about this. Um, So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, We're working on expanding, but I just want to do it in a way that makes sense and doesn't get myself, you know, behind. How long have have you been in Oregon or in in Eugene there? Oh, I've been in Eugene since 90. I was born down in Medford, so I've been in Oregon all my life. Okay. Um, So, yeah. You You kind of have that laid back, chilling out. (laughs) Well, you know, I'll just mention this. One thing that's really important to me is the experience of a project with people. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think they're going to like, well, I know they're going to like the yurt, but what I'd like afterwards is for them to say, you know, that was kind of fun doing that. And we kind of liked working with Lou. Okay. That's, that's interesting because the last people we were talking about who have, I'm not making comparisons, have a much bigger, um, business going on around building uh and mm. i'm talking about well, getaway we, yeah we were talking about the difference yeah, between yeah. a lifestyle business versus a startup yeah, business good point yeah yeah and this is exactly the it's comparison. exactly the comparison but but what's interesting is the cons- by both owners design the customer experiences is identical you gotta oh, put the customer first yeah, yeah. you just have to yeah in our house you talked about sort of controlling the growth and and making sure that the quality stays you know there in our house, we call that controlled chaos. Mm. Ah. I have a thousand and one things going on at once, mm-hmm. and I have to force myself to sit down and think about it and control the chaos. Sometimes you just have to move through it kind of a day at a time, step at a time. Yes, and control my spiritual tension. I like that, just like your, your tension. <laughs> That's what you guys made me think of that. Right. <laughs> I'm going to use that if you don't. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. Um, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's funny because this this conversation has this whole interview has kind of felt, had that vibe to it, like a kind of a laid back, mm-hmm. but tension because of the conversation we had before we came on air. It's kind of ease, but tension like a dance. Anyway, yeah. Lou, Lou, it's been it's been great talking with you. Um, and oh, it was fun. Thanks for having with, me. Yeah, yeah, fun talking with someone from Oregon, who, mm-hmm. which we don't usually get to talk Not a to. Lot. Actually, we yeah. did it early on with a lot of the tiny houses. Oh, that's true. We did, but, that. but then yeah, we ran through them. We and broadened our horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, tiny house listeners, you've listened to yet another one of our wonderful podcasts. Um, if you know of anybody that you think we should interview, and I'm not asking these questions because we're running out of people. We're just interested. We're looking in, for all kinds of good new people. Yeah, all kinds of good new people. So if you know someone who would be inter- an interesting guest on the Tiny House Podcast, shoot a message our way via our contact form on our website. At tinyhousepodcast.com. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, and one thing we'd like to do too is a special welcome to our new team member at 
tinyhousepodcast.com. Yay! Yay! Rick Yay. McNerney. Okay. Rick Yay. McNerney from Brooklyn, New York, oh, who's yes. going to be making us sound better. Much better. Much hopefully. better, yeah. Very excited. So, Rick, thank you. Hopefully, Rick is listening so he can see and judge for himself how bad we are. He better be listening because he's going to get these files and something's got to happen. Actually, he listens to, I, I have, I've had extensive conversations with him trying to like lure him into the enthusiastic, you know, a group that we are. Mm. Anyways, um, he listens to every single oh, one does. of them. Yes. Oh, boy. He has some real interesting commentary and feedback. So, okay. yeah. so we first met Rick when we were down in Colorado Springs and yeah, Perry and I were the, the night before it opened, we were walking away and Rick and his wife come running up up to, up to us going, hey, it's the tiny house crew. And we're like, uh, how do you know that? Because <laughs> we're on radio. So, yeah. We have faces for radio. Exactly. exactly. Great guy. Hey, great guy. Thank you, Rick. And another great show. Thank you very much for listening and check in to us uh, next week. Bye. Um, <laughs> nice. Namaste. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. Thank you.